pray together. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretch, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we cast aside every distraction, every attack of the enemy in Jesus' name right now. Lord, we are not here for ourselves or for our own glory, but Lord, we are here simply, God, to humble ourselves and to make your name be known in our worship, in our posture, in our words, in our prayers to you, O oh God. Lord, it may be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses. We come before your presence right now with humility. And God, we do not stay in our guilt. For God, your cross is greater than our shame. Your cross is greater than my emotions. So God, we humble ourselves to you today. We surrender all of our worries, all of our anxieties, all of our sins. We lay them at your feet, O oh God. I don't care what we have done this week or what we feel that we are or what the devil tells us that we are. We are a child of God that we humble ourselves and repent and we turn to yoga. Oh God, you hear us and you hear us from heaven. God, you turn your ears towards us. Who are we that you hear us when we pray to you, oh God? So I pray right now for the audience that their hearts will be humble right now. Lord, let their hearts become like sponge right now at this moment to receive and to soak up your word here today on Good Friday. Lord, thank you for this journey of Lent that we've been in. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, O oh God. Now, God, as you transition to the message, Lord, may the words of my mouth that I'm about to speak your word, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight. Lord, let the meditation of all of our hearts, for those who are listening here today, for your audience here today, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. For God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Take all the glory and honor. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And all God's people pray. Amen and amen. Let's take a moment to greet one another, our neighbors at this time. And let's say happy and blessed Good Friday. I'm glad that you guys wore dark clothing, except for Ronnie and Iji. Or at least your pants are black. Because today is a day of mourning. Today is meant to be very sad. Just as you go into a funeral not wearing a white clothing, you wear a dark clothing, a symbol of respect and understanding before what happened on this very day 2,000 years ago. 
Let's start with the title. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, Embrace His Cross? Amen. Embrace His Cross, the greatest cross, the greatest burden that any Christian can carry in this life. Embrace the cross. Embrace His Cross. The cross that died and shed for me the blood that washes away all of our sins, past, present, and future. Future and hope for all of eternity. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God, the Father, God made Him, who? Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why? Because I'm a sinner. All of us, no matter how good we are or how good we try to act, how many mission trips we go on, we're all sinners from the beginning, since the day that we were born. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, again, that's the key, in Christ, we might become what? The righteousness of God. It is not through my righteousness, my good works, how much money I give to charity, that I have righteousness before God, but it is in Him, because of the cross, that we have the righteousness of God to have access to eternity with God, and that happens through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not forget what this day is all about. It's because of the cross that we are all here today to be able to worship with our hands lifted high, to go on our knees and worship Him freely because of what He did, and it is because of Him, in Him, in Him, that we become the righteousness of God. Amen. On this very day, Jesus stands before the Pilate, and the next day, Jesus is found guilty. They asked the crowd, who do you choose? Barnabas, the criminal, who is known criminal at that time, or Jesus, the innocent man, the teacher prophet, and the, the teachers of the law, the high priest, they encouraged the crowd to choose an innocent man before a guilty individual. And the crowd, they follow, and they say, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus is found guilty, and Pilate sentences him to his death, to the cross. So they take Jesus Christ, they can take him to the courtyard. The soldiers, they gather, and these are strong soldiers. They throw Jesus onto the ground, into the middle of the courtyard. And they flog Jesus with the whip. And this isn't just a mere one-end whip. It has several layers of whip. And each of the whip has stones and bones that is embedded to it. Each time a soldier would take the whip with all of his strength and whip right into the back of Jesus, the whip wouldn't bounce back as if you would take a, a bat and you hit a pole and it, as it bounces back, this whip would stick to the flesh 
And then with all of his might, the soldier would pull the whip back. And as he pulls it back, it would take, it would tear the tendons, it would expose the bones, it would take the muscles and the fibers, and it would rip. And the back of Jesus would become a bloody pole. What the whip was meant for was to weaken the body of the individual who's being crucified before the crucifixion. Before being crucified, they wanted Jesus in a weak state to target his internal organs, like the kidneys, to be exposed. All this before Jesus, he went to the cross. Many victims during this time, if they were to be whipped in this manner, this just shows how strong Jesus was. This isn't just physically was he strong, but mentally, there's no one that can compare to the mindset that Christ had. Many victims would die by the loss of blood and be because of the pain, but not Jesus. He endured and scorned the shame, it says in Isaiah 50. Jesus, all this before going to the cross, each mark, each whip representing his love for us. And the question, if this isn't passion, then what is? This is what I call passion. And passion is not what we see in this life. We see a lot of cowards. We see a lot of cowardice. We see people running away, always playing victim, saying, this, I'm this way because of that. But not Jesus. He scorned the shame like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth, it says in Isaiah. After being whipped so bad, the soldiers, they give Jesus the crown of thorns as a symbol of not honor, but of humility. To humiliate Jesus. And this crown of thorns would not just rest like a cap you wear, or a beanie that you wear, or a head pin that you wear. Sometimes you, ladies, you get uncomfortable. Ronnie, sometimes when he wears the little thing, he gets uncomfortable. Imagine having crown of thorns, spikes, digging into your scalp during this whole process. And it will remain. No matter how badly they beat him, no matter how badly Jesus moved, it will stay stuck because it's penetrated into his skull. And in that process, the scripture tells us that they treated Jesus as a punching bag. They blindfold him, they beat Jesus, they mock him, they hit Jesus with fists, sticks, they spat on Jesus, and they mock him. Imagine the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, being treated in such a manner. Matthew 27, 27 to 31 says this. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped them and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand they, they knelt. Again, these soldiers are not kneeling out of respect. 
This is a mockery. They knelt and what? In front of it and they what? Mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. What is on his head? The crown of thorns. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Again, verse 31, they mocked him and then they took off the robe. Why is that part? Why is that description so important? Why is the crown of thorns so important? Not, is it bad enough that they're punching him in the face, but he has a spike of thorns on his head and his back, again, is a bloody pole. It's exposed. What do you do when you put a rope, when you put a, a, a blanket over an open wound? And then what happens? Eventually the blood will dry with the wound. And what happens when you move the rope? It would expose the rope, it would expose the wound even more. It was bad enough, but he becomes worse and worse and worse. And they mock him and they spit on him. They beat him. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 tells us that it says, I offer my back to those who beat me. Again, Jesus Christ, he chooses to do so. He's not forced to be doing this, but he chooses to do this because of his love for us. Because he wants to take the sin of all humankind because he had to drink the cup in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in Isaiah 50, I offer my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, it tells us in Isaiah 56. And what's amazing here is that Jesus could have easily, easily destroyed every single one of these crooked individuals. He could have easily called on his God and angels would have come and destroyed every single one of these crooked individuals. But he remained silent during this whole process. He did not open his mouth once to complain like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus then he carries the heavy cross. He climbs the hill to be crucified as he's in this broken state from toe to head, head to toe. Internally just bleeding, just being mocked and humiliated. He is forced to carry the cross. Again, it's his choice. Fully God, fully man. He climbs and he's losing massive blood every step he takes. Remember, the lack of sleep even the night before. Lack of blood. He's stumbling and falling. And out of the crowd, they call this one guy named Simon of Cyrene from the crowd. A man from Africa came all the way to Jerusalem to worship. They call him from the crowd, go ahead and carry the cross because Jesus, he could not carry the cross. It was too heavy. He was in such a weakened state. But what Simon doesn't realize is what an honor. Burden also, but what an honor it is to carry the cross of Jesus. That his name will be mentioned here in the scripture. Jesus finally, he gets up to the top of the hill with the help of Simon. 
they stretch Jesus on the cross. They stretch out his arms and they nail him to this wooden frame, the cross. And when I say nail, these are not just little tiny nails that we use to board up our sidewalk, to put up a clock on the wall. I'm talking about huge spikes, strong enough to hold a man's body. Average weight of a man, 150, 160, 170, 180. Huge spikes to pierce his hands and feet. Again, these are not just clean nails you buy from Lowe's or Home Depot. These are used previous nails that they've used on previous victims. They nailed him on the cross. They lifted up the cross. They will put the cross, the bottom, the foundation on a wall to keep the cross steady from not falling apart. During this time, Jesus, he is suffocating from not being able to breathe. Asphyxia, it says, also known as suffocation. Being held in this position, the muscles around the chest would fatigue and tire, and it would eventually paralyze the victim. Eventually, what happens when you exercise? Your muscles eventually will wear out. You will get tired. You're not getting enough oxygen. For the muscles to work, you need oxygen. He's not getting enough oxygen. And he's doing everything, to, everything that he can to breathe out the air. He can breathe in the air, but to breathe out, he's not able to. He can breathe in but not breathe out asphyxia. MacArthur commentary says this, it says, having been stripped naked and beaten, Jesus could hang in the hot sun for hours, if not days. To breathe, it was necessary to push with the legs and pull with the arms, creating excruciating pain. Terrible muscle spasms wrapped the entire body. So again, his feet will be nailed on a wooden frame. Enough to hold his body weight, but not enough. Imagine the pain being held by the nails. To breathe, he would have to lift with his legs. And he would have to pull with his hands, being held by the nails. But to breathe out, that was a difficult part. That's fixed it. Struggling, 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 bleeding everywhere. His back exposed, the crown of thorns on his head. What a disgraceful death it was in the eyes of the world. The death on the cross, it was the most humiliating death that any person could face. You wouldn't even want, wish it even to your worst enemy. The hardest part is not being able to breathe. Normally they would just carry the victim, spike them on the cross, it would take days to die, but not Jesus. He was beaten. And we carry around the cross in our necklace, or in our jewelry, or in our earrings. 
we have cross in our cars and we put it there because we think it's pretty yes it is pretty we know the symbol but the original meaning of the cross it means suffering and death and pain but to us as Christians now of course it means hope and restoration just constant up and down up and down up and down trying to breathe for hours for days and other victims. Death on the cross was a very cruel death. Why? Because it would take days for the person to die. The most cruel death that you ever find in all of this. And if the, if the soldiers get tired of seeing this over and over again, of course they're numb to it by now. Just like our generation, we watch so much violence and we become numb to it. Violent video games become numb to it. If they don't want to see Jesus on the cross or the victim and they get tired, easiest way to kill them would be to break the legs. Right? If you break the legs, then he won't be able to push anymore. You just tired of watching this repetition, they break the legs. But because the prophecy tells us that no bones of Jesus will be broken, his legs were not broken. John 19, 33-34 tells us this, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They were about to, maybe they got tired of doing it, of watching, but by then he had already died. Instead, one of the soldiers, they pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Blood and water. As a reader, you would think, huh, that's interesting, why water? Why will water come out of a man, not just blood? It tells us that blood and water will flow from Jesus as a spear was jabbed to the side of Jesus, just like a mind that we do, right? Take out. As a spear was jabbed to the side of Jesus, experts say that the only way that a mixture of blood and water could come out together at the same time would be if his heart had already ruptured and torn. The weight, not just physically, but symbolically, the weight of Jesus carried all the sins of your sins and my sins, the sins of the past, present and future, all of mankind, all of humanity, the weight of Jesus carrying all the sins of human beings was on that cross. The weight of the world on his shoulders 
was symbolic that he died of a broken heart, a shattered heart. As Jesus died, he was how much? How much? How much? This much. My everything. And he was there, it is finished. go back to the message, how much, Lord? How much? How much do you desire of me, God? Can I have my foot here in the world and when I feel like I come to church and put my foot in the kingdom of God? No! You cannot! It's all or nothing. There's no third option. Because of the weight and the meaning and the symbolism of the cross. I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you this much. With that, real quick, I want to show you guys a clip. We're going to continue. Keep going. Get the lights, the spotlight as well, or watch. And then we're gonna continue. Let's keep our attitude and heart humble before God. Let's continue on. Let's continue on. Amen. Amen. Sometimes the best way to help someone who has fallen into a hole is not to throw them a rope, but to climb in. Steve Hartman learned this on the road. Inside the county courthouse in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Judge Lou Oliveira made headlines with an unusual decision. You may be seated. A few years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. As part of his probation, he wasn't allowed to drink. So when he lied about a recent urine test, the judge felt he had no choice. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. It was just one night, but as he entered the cell, Joe says he knew it would be one of the longest nights of his life. When I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this um, anxiety. It came back. It came back, a flashback. Retired Army Sergeant First Class Joe Cerna did three tours in Afghanistan and has two Purple Hearts to show for it. The Green Beret survived an IED and a suicide bomber. But he says his scariest moment was the night he was riding in a truck with three other soldiers. What happened? We were, we were following the, the creek, and uh, the road gave way. And uh, the vehicle went in the creek. Trucks started filling with water? Yeah. All hope was lost. Trapped and unable to move, Joe felt the water rising, past his legs, then waist and neck, until finally it stopped at his chin. How many guys got out of that truck? Alive? Yeah. Just me. I was a sole survivor. Joe says it still haunts him. So I suffer from PTSD. Among his issues, a fear of being in small, cramped places. 
I knew what Joe was going through, and I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable, but I just felt I had to go with him. I, I felt I had to go with him. And so, a few minutes after Joe was locked up, Judge Lou Oliveira surprised the man he sent to jail by joining him for the entire night. We ate meatloaf, and uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about our families, and the walls got further apart. The walls just got, they, they, they didn't exist anymore. He brought me back to North Carolina from being in a truck in Afghanistan. That meant so much to me, sir. I know. This week, Joe promised the judge no more mess ups. I don't want to let you down, ever. It's not how law and order usually works. But sometimes jail is not what a man needs. Sometimes the best sentence love you. Love you. is compassion. Thank you for me. Steve Hartman, on the road in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Thank you, sir. And compassion heals. Amen. Mercy is when we stand before the judge, if he decides to show us mercy, he gives us a less sentence. If my crime equals 10 years, mercy means two years. But grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he would, on our behalf, that I would be free from my punishment and my sins. And on my behalf, he would take the punishment that was for me, the punishment that I was supposed to take. And he goes and he goes into the jail cell for me on my behalf so that I can be free and live this life in freedom to honor him. In the beginning I shared the scripture 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have a God not just a God who is for us on our side but he is also a God with us. He was not this faraway foreign being. We didn't know who we were talking to. But God became man. Not to live on this world with royalty, but to live humble and broken. And became God with name is Emmanuel, God with us, not just for us. So I have a challenge for us, for those who are alive today. March 2nd, 2021. Did I get the date right? The last time I got it wrong. What's today's date? April 2nd. April 2nd. That's right. I always get the month wrong. It's even up there on the top. <laughs> Praise God we're alive today, amen? Praise God that God woke us up this morning. The honor of being able to come to church on Good Friday 2021. What a journey we've been on, huh? Church, 2018, 2019, 2020. 
individually and as a church as a whole. How good and how faithful has God been to us? Praying in the parking lots, not having a place to build. Just going through all the struggle and the journey to be alive today, to have the breath and the honor and the privilege to have this building, this location where we can come and worship God. How amazing our God is. So I have a challenge for us. It's found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. It says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider, think, and ponder upon, it says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from this place. I want to challenge us today. On Good Friday, April 2nd, 2021, to turn back and to remember your first love. Repent and come back. Repent and come back. It's a reminder, a reminder for us to turn back and go back to our Maker, to our Lord. Do you remember back in the day when your love for God was innocent and genuine before God? You didn't do it out of nervousness. We didn't do it because it felt like we were forced to do things. We did it from the joy of the heart, the innocent and the genuine love. Whenever I read this passage, I would go back to when I was in middle school. I remember when we were living in an apartment, our family, we didn't have much. That's when we had the boombox, the cassette player, and I have Christian music in it. And I would just play. I remember at time school was so difficult. It's like I didn't know why my life was in this way, being dramatic as a kid. But one thing I had was my relationship with Christ. I go back to that moment with the light, the little lamp that I had, and I would just listen and play the praise songs. And at such a young age, I would just pray to God with my eyes closed, right by my headband, right there, playing and worshiping with tears dripping down, just God being so near to me and knowing that He is with me and that He loves me. Even though at that time, I didn't know all the theology and all the things I knew of the Bible, but I knew my God was real. I know Jesus Christ was my Savior. Turn back to your first love, to what you did at first. Psalm 107, verse 43 says, Whoever is wise will remember and think about the deep love of the Lord. When was the last time that we took time to pause and to reflect on the love of God? I want us to think back and reflect back on the first love of God. And you may ask, how do you do so? How do you do that, you ask? Simple. 
You go back to Good Friday. You go back to the cross. You go back to the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ. You go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. You go back to the Lord's Supper. You go back to the communion. The last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. You go back to when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Even Judas' feet. The one who had betrayed him. The one who had kissed him and he betrayed him. You go back to the cross. You remember what Good Friday is all about. You go back to the cross. That's how you turn back to the first love. Do you know what the worst crime, worst offense a Christian and a disciple can commit before God? It's not murder. It's not stealing. It's not some sort of sexual perversion. Yes, they are wrong, but it's lukewarmness. It's no passion before God. Imagine if Christ went to the cross with a lukewarm attitude. say to God, God, you are just one of the many things that I have in my life. My friends are over here, school over here, my social life is over there, my career is here, my family is here, and you, God, you get a little compartment over there, a little piece of me, and we give a little piece of pie to Jesus. And church, sometimes it doesn't really matter, right? In response to that kind of heart and attitude, God, How dare you? I love you this much. I went on the cross for you. I love you passionately. I made you. I created you. I planned you. I purposed you before you were even born when you were in your mother's womb. And I saved you and reserved a place in heaven for you. And you treat me with a happy hearted attitude and indifference. I love you so much that I gave my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. How dare you? God is telling us today, I want you hot or cold. Lukewarmness is not an option. It makes me sick to my stomach. C.S. Lewis said it like this. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. I'll say it again. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist, went to the war, World War I, fought in the war, questioned God, and eventually found God. He said, cannot be moderately important. No! Jesus Christ loves you and died for you, which means we owe Him our eternity, our everything, everything you have, every second, every minute, every hour. If Jesus Christ did not, then go, if, if Jesus Christ is not important and the most important thing, then go home. Continue living your own life. 
Christianity says, he goes on, Christianity false is of no importance. And if true of import, infinite importance, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. You either deserve your everything or your nothing. The gospel will become your greatest hope or become the greatest threat in your life. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place. It goes on, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 17 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, meaning you have grown proud. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Do not envy the rich people. Do not envy the people who are successful in this life. The scripture tells us you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Nothing bad with being rich. Nothing wrong with being successful. I'm talking about those who are lost and blind in this world and they only know success of this world. They are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And it goes on in verse 19 through 22. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Hear the knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Remember what we talked about eating symbolizes peace between a relationship. To the one who is victorious, verse 21. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Can we make this a little bit louder? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening, church? Are you listening? Are you listening? So the question, where are you men and women of God? Are you passionate in your pursuit after God? Where are you in your passion for God? Are you lukewarm? Are we still playing games? We're still playing games. I want to invite you to please bow your heads with me, with your eyes closed.
your heads bowed. The gospel will become your greatest hope or your greatest threat. Christ, he desires all of us, all of you or none of you. He does not deserve our leftovers. I'll say that again. He does not deserve our leftovers. Not that we can ever do anything to compensate for what was done on the cross. But we cannot give him our leftovers. And the reality here today, church, men and women of God, stop making excuses. Nobody's holding you back. You could blame the church all you want. You could blame your pastor all you want. You could blame your friend all you want. You could blame your parents, your childhood, all you want. At the end of the day, we're all in the same boat together. You and I, we will die. We will get sick, and this life will come to an end. Life is fair. Life is very, very fair. But praise be to God for the breath that I have today and the life that I have today. Nobody's holding you back. The truth is, you're as close to God as you choose to be. I'll say that again. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Ultimately, it is you. You make that choice. That decision is up to you. You can have as much of God as you want. Only you can take ownership of your decision, of your destiny before the Almighty God. No one can make you or force you. Here I am knocking at the door. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? Are you seeing? Are you blind? And are you lost? Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Are you a true worshiper? Or are you plain Christianity? Tonight the message is simple. You have to speak to two audiences only. The first audience to the Christians who are already saved. The second audience are for non-Christians. Maybe you're hearing this gospel for the first time or the second time, third time or the fifth time, but you've been rejecting it. But to the first audience, the Christian audience, I'm speaking this to you. Listen to me carefully. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider Think about and ponder. Meditate on how far you have fallen. You have grown proud. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is asking, how long, how long will you continue living in self-centeredness? Don't you know that I'm here? Don't you know how much I love you? You have to act. It's the act of the will. You do not understand. It's a choice you must make. It's an action you must take. You must repent and you must turn to Him and turn and do the things that you did at first. You must pray to God, Father, forgive me of my lukewarmness and my lukewarm attitude towards you. Jesus, I want to, I desire to, I want to have a passion for you. I want to get up in the morning every single day looking forward to the day that you plan for me. And I want to love you passionately, God, but I don't know how. I want to. God, help me. I want to love others passionately also. I want to forgive others also. I don't want to live bitterly also, God. I need your help. Make that choice today. Turn back to God and repent and turn back and re remember and meditate how far you have fallen. Remember the how forsaken your first love. Turn back to Him right now. So right now with that, for those who are saved and for those who are disciples of Christ, let us pray together. Let us turn back to God. Let us say, God, forgive me for my lukewarmness and my attitude towards you. I need you. I want to live with passion for you. Make that claim and declaration to God. Let us pray together. If you can place your right hand to the left side of your chest, it's a symbol of your love and a symbol of your life and your attitude to God. Let us pray together. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Heavenly Father, we pray to you.
Yes, the question to how do you become saved is simple. Romans 3.23 tells us you have to admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the sin, the wage of sin is death, it tells us in Romans 6. But the gift of God is eternal life. Again, in, the word is in, that's the key, in Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation 20, 15 tells us anyone whose name was not found, written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of 
fire. How do you get your name in the book of life? Simple. It is this. Acts 16, 31 tells us, believe, believe. Can you repeat after me? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you believe in him today? Believe in him. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 14.6 tells us, I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10 tells us, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved so if you're ready please pray and repeat after me and only repeat if you're not saved if you are saved you do not need to repeat this prayer Say, Jesus Christ, today I realize what you did for me. I want to say thank you. I accept what you did for me. Place your right hand to the left side of your chest. Repeat after me. I will follow you. I accept and receive your forgiveness. Redeem me. Change me. Restore me. I love you. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Trust in his name. Trust in Jesus Christ receive his forgiveness today. God, I pray for those who are listening here today. For anyone who is listening, who has ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that their life, their life will be written, that their names will be written in the book of life. And anyone whose name is not in the book of life, will be thrown into the eternal fire. Away from me, you evildoer, for I do not know you. But let us hear God come, my faithful child. Your names are written. Your name is written in my heart and in the book of life. Thank you for the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, through you, God, that I have eternity, have access to eternity in my eternal home, my citizenship that is found in Christ. We preach not to build churches, but to save sinners from hell. And the two are not the same, Martin Lloyd Jones. We're not here today 
to fill the empty seats in our churches. Church, listen to me. I want to save sinners from hell. You can go to church every week, pretend to know Christ. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to heaven. It is not the same thing. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy today. We thank you, God, that you did not now only sit in the jail cell with me for my punishment. But God, you excluded me. You took me out. And you told me, son, sit this one out. I got you. I'm going in on your behalf. My daughter, sit this one out. I'm doing it for you. So that we can live freely outside of prison. Not to be chained in this life. Lord, thank you for your grace and for your priceless message that you have for us today. And a reminder today to turn back to our first love. To know who our Lord Jesus Christ is. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Amen. With that, I want to invite the priest to come up. Can we all stand to our feet together? these two songs. Thank you for the cross. And may the words of my mouth. Let's just make this our worship before God. Let's just worship Him. Let it be our prayer and our worship before our Father. Let's sing together.
Amen. Amen. Praise God. May your name be glorified. Lord, thank you for using people like us, an individual like me. Lord, I do not deserve whatsoever to stand before your presence and even to be here. But thank you, God, for your unending grace and unending mercy and for the call that you have placed in our life. In all of our lives, God, to be able to do what we do. Thank you for the honor and the privilege to be part of this big family, this Christian family that transcends the color of our skin, the culture we come from, and the creeds, and the place where we are, and the family that we come from. God, you go beyond our family, our last name. When God, you transcend and unite us through one. And his name is Jesus Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ that died not just only for the Jews, not just only for a certain group of people, not just only for a certain continent of a country, but Lord, for all mankind, for all of humanity, for every single one who are alive here today. So God, thank you for calling us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a purpose Thank you that God, that you called us before we were even born, that in our mother's womb, you had a plan for us. So I want to thank you for your unending grace, for your unending mercy, our Heavenly Father. God made him who had no sin to be sent for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And pray all these things, your precious Son, the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Pray in his name, to whom be all the glory and honor. Pray all these things, your precious Son, just because we pray. As God's people, we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. And why don't we, instead of ending it all kind of like soloing, let's, uh, why don't we, you guys choose. Nothing can separate or the reason he came. So if you don't know Nothing Can Separate, it's Hosanna, right? Arlene's song. And then the reason he came is the most beautiful thing in this world is Christ of Which one? Nothing can separate. Tell you guys have. Okay. Okay. Nothing can separate. Let's worship together.